Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. While reading my devotions a couple of weeks ago, there's a few verses that jumped out at me. I don't know how it does for you, but a lot of times I'll, I'll read them, some passages and it just seems like a verse just almost reaches up and uh, Brother Bob's and slaps his side of the face and said, I never saw that before. And, and this is one of those verses. Now, probably when you read it, you probably say, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, but I begin to think about those verses and I begin to uh, mull over that verse. Now, after I put that in my notes, mull, I figured some of you might not know what mull means. That means to meditate. For you farmers, that means to chew your cud a while, okay? As a cow chews your cud, begin to think about that, uh, this verse. The verses were in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13, and I know we've already prayed. But I'm going to ask you to pray with me again, because this is one of those messages that can go in 40 different directions, and none of us know when we get there. But I want God to speak to your heart as he spoke to my heart and give us clarity of thought. So let's just pray. I know the word's anointed. That's one thing. You do not have to pray that God would anoint his word. It's already anointed. We just need him to anoint our ears in these lips of clay that we can speak it. So let's pray to that. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together. Thank you for this word, this message. We know it's uh, anointed because it is your word. But I ask you to give me clarity of thought as I portray it and, and let you speak to your people. Let them hear what the Spirit has to say to the church today. So have your way, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 22, this was after one of the kings had already been taken into captivity. Jerusalem was in the process of being taken over, and Jeremiah was writing, and in chapter 22, notice what it says as we uh, read verse 13, Jeremiah 22, 13, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbors serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. Verse 14 is the verse that really jumped out at me. Who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Then the, ask the question in the next verse, do you think... You are a king because you compete in silver. Do you think that you're a king because you have a wonderful house? Let me read that out of the message, those verses. Doomed to him who builds palaces but bullies people, who makes a fine house but destroys lives, who cheats his workers and won't pay them for their work, who says, I'll build me an elaborate mansion with spacious rooms and fancy windows. I'll bring in rare and expensive woods and the latest in interior decor. So that makes you a king living 
in a fancy place? Think about that. Think about that. Does that make you a king just because you got a nice house? Does it make you a king because you've got a huge bank account? I don't think so. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a nice house. It's much better to have a nice home, not just a house. But there's a difference between a house and a home. And I thank God I've got a nice home. Now, the house I grew up in was a Jim Walter home. Any of you know those? Those were the owner got to finish them up. Well, guess what? My dad never finished ours. But we, we, we had a Jim Walter home. We never had a hot water heater. And for a number of months, we didn't even have indoor plumbing. See, that's before you had to get a certificate of occupancy to move in. So we moved in that Jim Walter home. And it was a three-bedroom. You say, well, that's a big house. Well, it all depends. If you're one of the five boys staying in one bedroom, it wasn't a real big house. <laughs> five of us. With one regular side bed and one small bed. No queens, no kings. We couldn't even afford a servant's bed, much less a king. Some of y'all get that after a while. No air conditioning here in Florida. And in the wintertime, we had one of those little heaters you had to sit on to find out if it was on. That's what I grew up in. Now, when Marcia and I got married, we moved into a 10 by 40 mobile home. I moved up in the world. <laughs> 10 by 40. Later on, when we moved into a 12 by 60, I was uptown. Ready to have a nice home. Still no air condition. But thank God I had a 12 by 60. That's big. And then we started moving into parsonage. Until we lived in the house we live in now. But I can tell you, God's blessed me. I almost said, where do you see my next home? But my, next, my wife's telling me, why don't we move into one of those tiny houses? <laughs> so I'm not going to say my next home. I'm going to say, where do you see the one God's got prepared for me? Amen. It's going to be nice. It's designed by the master builder. It's designed by the creator of this universe and it's built by the carpenter, Jesus Christ himself. You say, wait a minute, why did you say that? Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm gonna tell you what, if he can make this world as good as he's made it, you ain't seen nothing yet. So there's nothing wrong with having a nice home. I'm not a golfer, but I was so pleased after the Masters, and I'm kind of paraphrasing because I didn't find the direct quote. But when the winner of the Masters made a statement, something like this, my golf game does not define me. I'm defined by my relationship with Jesus Christ. Wow. Your house doesn't define you. Your car does not define you. Everything is defined by your relationship with Jesus. Now, let's go back and read this context. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 22. 
Thus says the Lord, go down to the house to the king of Judah. How many knows the king of Judah had a nice house? I said, he had a nice house. But he says, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of the house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if they will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation for thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah you are like Gilead to me like the summit of Lebanon yet surely I will make you a desert an uninhabited city I will prepare destroyers against you each with his weapons and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire and many nations will pass by this city and every man will say to his neighbor why has the Lord dealt this way with this great city. And they will answer, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God. Let me read that sentence again. Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshiped other gods and served them. Weep not for him who is dead, nor grieve for him, but weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more to see his native land. Then he says, for thus says the Lord concerning Shalem, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, and who went away from this place, he shall return here no more. But in the place where they have carried him captive, there shall he die. Did you get that? They'd taken the king away to Babylon, and he was going to die in Babylon. He wasn't coming home. He says, and he shall never see this land again. Woe to him. Here's the verse you started with. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think that you're a king because you compete in cedar? Do you think that you're a king because you've got a nice house? Now again, let me pause here. I don't want anyone that lives in a mansion to be upset today. I'm not downing you in any way. But you're not going to be judged on what kind of house you lived in. That's it, not it. Do not think that you're a king because you compete in silver. Do not your, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord, but you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gain, for the shedding of innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. As I was reading that, and I began to think about it, I realized that the word house is an interesting word in the Bible because it's got so many different meanings. The word house means lineage or offspring. Like you shall be of the house of Abraham, the house of David, 
the house of Jesse. So it means lineage and our offspring. John 14 tells us that heaven's a house with what? Many rooms or many mansions. And my father's house, what? Are many mansions. I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. Job said this. Job said the grave is the house appointed to all living. I don't know if you realize it or not, but one of these days you're going to have a house that we know as a grave. Now, I know a lot of people are cremated, but the point is we're all going to die. I said, we're all going to die. And after that, it's going to be the judgment. So Job says, the grave is a house appointed to all living. Psalm 23, we learned it, many of us did, as elementary children. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All words for house. And then over in the Second Corinthians, we find something else about the word house. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, in this house, did you know you got a house? There's a lot of people say they're homeless. And I understand what they're saying. But in reality, they're not homeless because they got their house. They've got the tent they live in. They've got their house. A house not for this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So we find there's many words for house. And while I was studying, I ran into something interesting. I wondered how much we spend on making these houses look good. I know some of you are already saying, Pastor, you've wasted your money. <laughs> I got it. Now, I, I, this is according to looking it up on the, on the internet, so you, know, you don't argue with those. But according to them, women, women spend $3,756 a year on making themselves look good. Let's forget about the ladies. Go straight to you guys because you say, man, I don't ever spend that much. Well, I didn't break it down per year, but according to the same statistics, you spend $175,000 in your lifetime to make you look good. Now, I'm going to tell you what, folks. I've looked around and I looked in the mirror. We need a refund. We need a refund. If we spent $175,000 for that, oh my. We'd do a refund. When Israel was in the desert, they left the slaves. And somebody asked me this morning where they got all their gold. When they left Egypt, they ransacked the land. Willingly, the people gave them all their gold. They left. But when they got out there, they begin, God gave them instructions how to build a house. A house. We call it a tabernacle. Now, the word tabernacle literally means a dwelling place. 
Who dwelt in the dwelling place? That was God. Now, I know that all of us here knows that God is omnipresent. He lives everywhere. But there he said, I want you to build me a portable house. It's going to be 45 foot long and 45 foot square, 15 foot tall. He said, that's going to be where I live. Now, let's read that scripture in Exodus chapter 30, uh, 38. And I'm going to read some uh, out, of, out of scripture here, but then I'm going to tell you how much this, what that was in language that you can understand. But in Exodus chapter 38, verse 24, all the gold that was used for the work and all the construction of the sanctuary or the tabernacle or the house was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by shekel of the sanctuary. A becca, a head, that is half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone who's listed in the records from 20 years old and upwards. In other words, that was the offering. Now, I'm not going to take time to, to read that because you don't understand what we're saying. But let me tell you, in English, in our measurements, what that house cost. 2,193 pounds of gold. 7,544 pounds of silver. 5,310 pounds of brass. That's the reason it took thousands of people, took a whole tribe to carry this portable chapel. And I'm sure they made carts. I'm sure they did different things because remember the ark was carried one place on a cart. But that was still a lot of weight to carry. And they had to move it whenever God said move. And he had a whole group of people assigned to move it. But for our message today, I just want you to realize how valuable that chapel was. That tabernacle. But you know what? When David came along, David wanted to build a temple because the tabernacle was not good enough. And God says, David, you can't build it because you're a man of blood. You're a man of bloodshed. But we let Solomon build it. Now, what did that cost to build. Well, let's go over to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3. And they use the same phrases, the same words. But let's begin where it says, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided, David said this, David provided for the holy house. He said, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. This is what David gave out of his personal estate. Now, I want you to know if you're waiting for the pastor to give this much for your next building program, you're missing out. I'm not going to read those again, but what, he, what David gave was a hundred tons of gold. 
250 tons of silver. He started it out. He gave the first. And then the congregation gave 185 tons of gold and 375 tons of silver. Now, these are not exact figures that I added up, but I just figured I knew that a ton was 2,000 pounds. And if they gave 285 tons, multiply that by ounces that you get almost $2,000 an ounce, that today's money, that temple would have cost roughly $18 trillion. $18 trillion. And what did the Bible say? And the glory of God filled the temple. When it was built, the glory of God filled the temple. That's where God dwelled. But God says, I want something a little better. I want something better. And I know some of you are saying, well, what could be better than a temple that cost $18 trillion to build? I can tell you by God's word, what was better was you. One soul, they said, the Spirit of God is going to dwell in you. So I want to tell you something. If there's anybody here today feeling like you're inferior, feeling like you're nobody, God says that His Spirit can not only dwell with you, it can dwell in you. And that you are worth more than $18 trillion. Now, don't go down to the local bank and try to take that as collateral. They probably wouldn't offer it. But in God's eyes, and isn't that who really matters? In God's eyes, you're priceless. But what was the value? What made it so valuable? He said, I want a church. I want a house that I can dwell in. And he made it. Not out of bricks or mortar. He paid for it by Jesus Christ dying on the cross to purchase the house. Your house, my house. A soul that cost Jesus his life. We're all familiar with John 3.16. But let's read the first few verses of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's us. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's also us. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The winds blow, or the winds blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I mentioned this quite a bit lately because I know a lot of people said, I've got so many questions. I do too. I have a bunch of questions. I was out there yesterday and the day before and the day before and, the day, and that wind was blowing. Where'd it come from? Where's it going? Is it going to go to the edge of town and stop? I don't know. And we expect to understand God. He says the spirit goes where it wants to. And he says we're born of the flesh and of the spirit. Now go with me over to John chapter 20. Because we know that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he revealed to him, said, you must be born again. The spirit must come into you. He didn't understand it. But in John chapter 20, we have just a little bit of an insight in verse 19 where it says, and on the evening of that day, what day? This was the day of the resurrection. The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were. For fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed. Now, that's the same word that's used over in creation. When God created the heavens and the earth, he breathed the ruach, the wind of the spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So what was he doing? He said, listen, I bought the building. I paid for you on the cross. And now I'm going to send the Spirit to indwell you because you are the new temple. You are the new tabernacle. You are of greater value than an $18 trillion building. God loved you that much. And he breathed in them and said, now, and, and they became, that's when they became Christians. I know some of you say, wait a minute, they had been with Jesus for three years. What does a person have to do to become a Christian? Believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he died, and he rose again. That happened that morning. They were brand new. He said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now let's go over to Revelation chapter 3, another verse that you're very familiar with. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Into what? Into the body into the tent, into us, that spirit. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant 
to sit with me on the throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe that God is wanting us to understand the value that each one of us has and the importance that the Holy Spirit is to us, that he lives in us, and the power or the glory of the Lord fill the temple. How many thinks he still wants to fill the temple? He still wants to fill the temple, and he understands that. A few days after I began thinking on this message, I, I heard a song. And I realize many of you are not uh, into bluegrass gospel. And that's not my favorite, but I heard this song that I really liked. And I'm not going to try to sing it. But I want you to listen to the words. It was written by Francis P. Simpson. It was sang by Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver Bluegrass Group. Oh, I'm just not myself, although I look the same. The portrait that it used to be is a different frame. I feel this sudden strength, but I'm as helpless as a child. And you say, may see me grinning like it's going out of style. The things I used to treasure just get in the way. The people I once hated, I love them more each day. The frown I'm used to wearing has been turned upside down since Jesus came into my heart and turned my life around. He lives in me. He lives in me. He bought me with a price. Now I am no longer my own. My life is his kingdom and my heart is his throne. He lives in me. He lives in me. The king of all heaven and the earth is living in me. Now even when I'm tempted, good and evil are at war. The battle's getting hotter than it's ever been before. Oh, I know where my strength lies. I can't do it on my own. Then I get reinforcements because I'm never left alone. He lives in me. He lives in me. He bought me with a price. Now I'm no longer my own. My life is his kingdom. My heart is his throne. He lives in me. He lives in me. The king of all heaven and earth is living in me. And his glory filled the temple. I am his and he is mine. Today we celebrate communion. And I ask you, is your life the dwelling place of God? If you're a Christian, it is. Why? Because he lives in you. And that you know that your life is more valuable than tons of gold. If he lives in you, every one of us should be rejoicing today. I said, if he lives in you, you need to be rejoicing today. And if he doesn't live in you, you know what Jesus is waiting for? He's waiting for an invitation. And he's already knocking. He's knocking. He said, come in. This morning, around three o'clock, I was thinking this message and I remembered a story, a true story 
that I heard years ago. There was a pastor that was relatively new to a town in a small town in Tennessee. He had recently become pastor and he was trying to meet everybody. And there was a young boy that came by and he shook his hand, said, I'm so glad to meet you. The boy was not dressed the best, didn't smell the best. But the pastor said, I'm glad to meet you. Now, whose son are you? The boy turned a little pale. And as soon as the pastor realized what happened, because he'd heard about a young boy that attended that church with his mother, that he didn't know who his daddy was. And he knew that he had goofed up. God gave him the words to say. He says, wait a minute. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I know whose son you are. You're the son of the almighty God. I see the resemblance in your face. That little boy grew up and told that story. And he was elected governor state of Tennessee remembering the time that somebody told him you're the son of God he lives in you I don't know why God gave me that little story but I think some of you have probably been doing some battle with inferiority I know some of you may not believe it but I've fought, I fought that all my life because I'm from one of those poor of the poor. But I'm glad that God saw value in me. And I'm glad that your house does not define you. Your car does not define you. My profession does not define me. I'm defined by the Spirit of God living in me. And as Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. You're of great value. You're of great value. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.